Within the vast expanse of uncertainty, there is an infinite void of creative potential that is beckoning each and every one of us, asking us, who are we becoming? What do we want to create with our lives? As the foundation of familiarity crumbles beneath our feet, we now have the privilege to plant new seeds of possibility in the fertile soil of the unknown. We are living at the heart of a transformative era that is alive with possibility, and it's visionary minds that are illuminating the way. We are being called to stretch our imaginations so we can usher once unthinkable dreams into tangible realities. I believe that one of the greatest gifts of being alive is experiencing the joy and the beauty of witnessing our visions transmute into reality. When we embark on that deeply meaningful journey, the very thing that we set out to create creates us in return and shapes us into the story of who we are becoming. So amidst all of the volatility of disruption and accelerating change that humanity is experiencing at this unprecedented moment in time, there is one extraordinary and multifaceted skill set that stands out as the key to shaping and influencing a future that enriches our lives with meaning and purpose. And that is creativity. And it is no coincidence that at this moment in time, more people than ever before have access to the very substances, molecules, more like miracles, that fit into the receptor sites of our brain and they strengthen our capacity to imagine, to think differently, to think more creatively. They are helping us to rewrite our limiting beliefs they are shifting our perception of reality, allowing us to look at ourselves and the world around us from a new perspective. The psychedelic experience itself is teaching us the very skill sets and mindsets we need to elevate all aspects of creativity, despite the fact that most people aren't even engaging with psychedelic medicines from this particular perspective or with this intention. I find it remarkable that although people seek out ceremonies and psychedelic journeys for so many different reasons, because we desire change, we yearn for deeper understanding, we come together in community and sing and pray for our healing, and as a result of our healing and our inner transformation, creativity is flourishing. This is worth paying attention to. And I believe it's because these medicines are awakening a deep remembrance within us, helping us come home to the truth of who we are. At the core of our being is our innate capacity to imagine, fueled by our desire to create and contribute. Many of you listening to this podcast are cultivating a practice with psychedelics and sacred plant medicines. You are showing up at the altar to meet your growth edge, letting go of old ways of being, opening to new possibilities in your life, and exploring new ideas and expanded visions. And you show up because you have a feeling. It's a clear knowing you are meant to create and contribute something extraordinary with your life. And you are up for the challenge. 
Choosing to wake up to our creative potential is one of the most significant ways we can inspire real change. So what are the seeds of possibility that you are planting in the garden of your mind right now? How far are you willing to expand what you believe is possible to create with your life? What are you feeling called to birth through your being to contribute to the blossoming of humanity? There has never been a more opportune time to follow that spirit of inspiration. And it is the spirit of inspiration that has led me here at this culmination point in my own life where I'm also anchoring new expanded visions into manifest reality. My name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to episode number 62 of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. And this is the first episode in a series exploring the science and ceremony of psychedelics and creativity. And in this episode, we're going to embark on this journey by exploring an overview of the creative process. I'm going to introduce frameworks that outline phases for the creative process. Then we're going to break it down and look under the hood at each phase and explore the different modes of cognition that support each of the different phases of the process. And then we're going to explore the mode of cognition that psychedelics help to facilitate and where that might fit into the larger arc of the creative process. And so every time I enter the conversation of creativity, whether I'm teaching or speaking about this topic on a summit or seminar or other podcast, I like to enter in the same way to help keep us oriented because creativity is so multifaceted and there are so many angles through which we can explore this topic. It's helpful to orient ourselves on a map, so to speak, so we have a better sense of what we're actually talking about. So at a very high level, if I were to divide up the creative landscape into four chunks, we could use Mel Rhodes' model, the four Ps of creativity. So if I were to categorize creativity into four chunks, they would be the creative person, the creative process, the creative product, or I like to think of it as the creative outcome. And then the fourth P was initially termed creative press, which meant the environment, like the setting that we're in that influences our creative outcomes. I renamed that to the creative place. That just made more sense to me. And in the work I did in graduate school, I built on this model and added a fifth P, creative practices. And that overlaps the person and the process. And in this episode, we're talking about the creative process. And there are many different definitions of creativity. And I'll share various ones throughout these episodes that illuminate the different facets of creativity. And in the broadest sense, especially when speaking to the creative process like we are today, we could say that creativity is the process of translating our ideas and inner visions into tangible reality. And we're actually doing this all the time on small and large scales. So do you pay attention to how that process unfolds in your life on a professional level? Could you articulate it? How do you come up with compelling ideas that have the potential to inspire change and then transmute them into reality? How do you evaluate them? How do you implement them? So as you can see, there's really so much to explore here. Are you aware of what helps support your creative process and what stifles it? 
And the purpose and the benefit of exploring these frameworks for the creative process that I'm going to be introducing in today's episode is to learn more about yourself and how you operate so you can learn to optimize your process. And although it looks different for everyone, we are all human, so there are some generalities that we can make. And in today's episode, I'll be leading with a little more of my academic hat on, and it's really the foundation for the next episode where I'm going to be peeling back a layer and sharing very personal aspects of my solo practice and how I actually integrate psychedelics into my creative process. And I'm going to be sharing that framework and an introduction to what that process actually looks like for me in the next episode. But we need to cover some foundational principles and helpful theory in this episode first. And before we dive into today's topic on psychedelics and the creative process, I want to offer some broader context for all the episodes I'll be releasing on psychedelics and creativity. This question, can psychedelics enhance creativity, was the question that inspired me to go back to graduate school to complete a Master of Science in Creativity Studies and Change Leadership. And I focused my degree on exploring the intersection of psychedelics and creativity, especially creative cognition for leadership development. I know, very heady, but oh so fascinating. And honestly, far more important than any degree or piece of paper, what I'm drawing upon is over 25 years of quite a substantial amount of journeying with medicines, weaving these teachings into the fabric of my reality. Everything of significance that I have created has been the result of applying these teachings. And I have witnessed so many miracles unfold in my life as a result. And I've also been supporting hundreds of other people on their journey with medicine as well. So I want to say something about weaving science into these episodes. If you've been listening to season one and two of this podcast, then you know I like to bridge science and academia with ceremony and wisdom traditions, primarily Tibetan Buddhist philosophy. More often than not, they all point to the same thing. So I like to bring both perspectives to the table to expand our understanding And I just want to acknowledge that there are only a handful of scientific studies explicitly exploring psychedelics and creativity. Yes, more are coming. This is a huge topic of interest. But any study that looks at psychedelics and creativity is going to be extremely limited for so many reasons. Some obvious and others less obvious that I won't get into right now. But suffice it to say that the tapestry of your own experience is going to be the best place to draw insight and wisdom from. So I encourage you to trust yourself in this process. I personally don't really care that there aren't many studies in the sense that I don't let it stop me from doing this work. Because even though I have an academic background and I believe that understanding the science is valuable, it's informative, it's helpful, it's insightful, and I'm pro-science, I am also pro-intuition and common sense. And to put it bluntly, it's obvious that psychedelics enhance creativity. And my life and countless other lives are a living testament to how psychedelics enhance and unlock our creative potential. 
And even though there are few studies directly focusing on psychedelics and creativity, I spent my years of graduate school reading countless papers and psychedelic studies, digging into the literature that is primarily focused on psychedelics and mental illness. And embedded in the existing literature, we can connect these hidden dots that are actually very hard to miss when you know what to look for. And we can make a very compelling case that psychedelic medicines don't just enhance creativity as some nice-to-have, fluffy byproduct of the psychedelic experience. It's actually the core of their therapeutic potential. And I'm not talking about art therapy, although that's a valid healing modality. I'm talking about learning to think differently, shifting our perception of reality so we create new experiences for ourselves. That's how we heal from depression and addiction. And it's also how we come up with brilliant ideas that inspire change. So I view healing and creating as synonymous in many ways. And the more I actually explore that overlap and intersection, the more I see just how parallel they are. It's all life force energy moving through us. And when we understand that creativity is at the core, we start to engage with medicines through this lens. We perceive them through this understanding and it changes everything. It changes how we work with them and how we engage with them. It shifts how we think about set and setting, how we think about integration and preparation and how we think about the experience itself. And when we take the time to learn new concepts and new words, a language to describe something, it offers us a new perspective, a new lens through which to perceive. And that was really the benefit of going to graduate school for me. Getting a degree in creativity really equipped me with a language and conceptual frameworks that then informed how I engaged with these medicines. And so this content that I'm sharing in these episodes, which I consider to be more like curriculum, is helping you build your conceptual frameworks, like handing you a lens that has the capacity to change your perception of reality and change your experience. And you can apply this understanding in whatever intuitive way makes the most sense for you. Like my mama always says, take the best and leave the rest. And so concepts, they help us to understand, but let's always remember that theory is a roadmap and a map is not the territory. So I encourage you to hold it all lightly, play with it. Try not to grip onto anything I say or suggest as truth. These are ideas I'm putting on the table for you to pick up and explore if you choose. Find what works for you, follow your knowing and follow your truth. Trust that, trust yourself. And I just want to share that even though this is season three, in a way this feels like my first episode because this genuinely feels like the start of my legacy work. I will be turning 40 this year and my very first gray hairs are starting to come in. So I'm really stepping into this next chapter of my life where I'm really intentionally focusing on the legacy that I want to leave behind. And even though I've been teaching psychedelic-related curriculum for the better part of 10 years now, each episode I'm going to be bringing through feels like a segment of a dissertation on the culmination of my life's work. And after years of learning how to embody and apply and practice these principles, I finally feel ready to share this deeper layer of my work and my craft. 
And I've had to move through my own process around facing some of my own fears around stepping forward and sharing from this place. And so this season, I'm going to be speaking from a deeper layer of my authentic truth and speaking from the perspective of being a student. I will always be a student on this path. And so I'm really showing up with humility for all that I don't know and all that I still have to learn. Because I think one could easily explore the intersection of creativity and psychedelics for many lifetimes and still just barely scratch the surface. And the depth and complexity of these topics are so challenging to navigate. This process is truly bringing me to my own growth edge, and I am constantly navigating the complexity of this. And so I'm often reflecting on whether to lead with the language of science versus the language of spirit and ceremony. And so this content that I'm bringing through and I'm sharing is for people who want to go deep who want to go deeper and who are open to receive the language that is simply the expression of my truth. I'm not trying to tailor myself to a short attention span economy or a mainstream audience here. This curriculum is not for everyone. It's actually only for a very small segment of the population, people who genuinely aspire to create to innovate and elevate, who want to expand what they believe is possible to create with their lives and contribute something extraordinary. And I can genuinely say that I've led an extraordinary life and I'm grateful for that and I'm also proud of that. And so I'm asking for patience between episodes because each episode takes quite a lot of time to produce. I'm also writing this content for my book and so there's a lot of moving pieces here. And so part of my own journey is evolving from this mindset of time management to energy management. And I'm building my life around what works for me creatively rather than building around external expectations, which again, this is all so much easier said than done. And so this episode alone took me three weeks to create and produce. So I'm really, truly moving at the pace of my creative process. And so I appreciate your patience and understanding. And honestly, the majority of my life is dedicated to bringing this through right now. And this podcast is one example of how I'm working with medicines to bring curriculum through me that feels authentic to my spirit. People listen to the end result of these episodes, which is the outcome of my creative process. This is just one example. But I'm going to be peeling back a layer, offering insight as to what actually transpires underneath the surface to bring something like this through. How I engage with medicines to refine my ideas, to cultivate vision, to craft my thought leadership. And that really just requires space and time to integrate. And when I journey, I'm going to dimensions beyond space-time. That's what I'm tapping into. And there's wisdom from those dimensions that I want to bring through. And I need to free myself from time pressure in order to do that. And just expressing this to you is so helpful for me right now. Helps to free up the pressure that I put on myself to produce. And that pressure, it just, it stifles my creative process. And this is a perfect example of how we can give ourselves permission and have the courage to build our lives around what genuinely works for each and every one of us. Again, easier said than done. It's so easy 
to get caught up in needing to conform to our external reality. So I know this is all very meta here because I'm pointing to my creative process. So I'll be opening up and sharing very personal aspects of my solo practice with medicines and how I integrate them into my life truly as a way of life. And so in addition to cultivating a practice that allows me to bring through this curriculum that I'm sharing here on these episodes, that I'm writing in my next book, and that I am going to be teaching at my next retreats, I'm also tending to quite a significant vision here in Costa Rica. I just bought 90 acres of land, and I'm so grateful and blessed to be here. And I also just want to mention that I'm recording all of these episodes outside, Sometimes you might hear these high frequency sounds and that's the insect life around me. And I can genuinely say that I'm here on this 90 acres of land bordering two miles of river and waterfalls because of the miracles that have manifested in my life because of my visionary practices. And I know that sounds very woo to some of you, but it is absolutely true. And I am grateful for every single moment of it. Okay, there is something really important, actually, that I want to share here before we go any further. What I'm teaching is not about journeying with medicines to generate better business ideas to make more money. Okay, that is really important for me to communicate. That would be a false conclusion to jump to. Yes, I have been financially successful. It's easy to make assumptions about what that looks like. But my success has been a byproduct of cultivating the courage to follow the spirit of inspiration regardless of where it leads me. Every time I choose to leap with courage despite the fear and the doubt, I have been rewarded in ways I never could have imagined. And I feel some of the hesitation because I have received all sorts of flack for speaking my truth. People have expressed to me that it feels very irresponsible that I would share publicly around my solo practice because that might encourage other people to do the same. It's delicate and I'm holding it with a lot of care. And there's a a quote by Charles Bukowski, who's an interesting character, that reads, If it doesn't come bursting out of you in spite of everything, don't do it. That's what it's like for me. That's how I live my life. I follow that thing that is bursting out of me despite everything. And I still follow that. I mean, some people might ask me like, wow, you spend three weeks working on a podcast episode. Like this doesn't directly make me money. But I trust this because this is wanting to come through me. And so I have to have the courage to tend to that spark of inspiration and build my life around it, put other things on hold to bring this through. And I trust that process. I trust that I was born to share this. It's my dharma. I know it. I feel it in my bones. And so I'm simply in service to the spirit of inspiration. And because I've lived like that, I have been financially successful. But that is secondary. What this really is about is coming to know ourselves deeply. It's about cultivating the courage to live our truth, to follow our curiosities. It's about discovering who we are and who we're capable of becoming. It's about healing as much as it's about creating. I think we have a lot of healing to do around our value and self-worth and what we feel worthy of receiving in our lives. 
And healing the shame that we feel around money is absolutely a part of that. That conversation is for another time. The more I have, the more I have to give. The more we open to give, the more we open to receive. It's all energy. It's all flow. So if you can focus on how this content might benefit your life so you can benefit other people, that's a helpful frame of mind to have here. Okay, it goes without saying that everything I share is for educational purposes only, but I have to say it anyways. If you are going to engage with psychedelic medicines, please prioritize your safety. I have a free guide I've written on how to have a safe psychedelic journey at home that is probably not enough. Find the support you need. I'll also include a link in the show notes for a guide that I wrote on integration, which starts with sound preparation. All of this can be found by going to lauradon.co forward slash 62. Every resource that I'm going to mention throughout this entire episode, you can find by going to lauradon.co forward slash 62. If you have any questions about what I'm sharing, please send me a voice memo. I just set this up. I'm pretty excited about it. And you can send me a voice memo by going to memo.fm forward slash PLP. I'll also include that link in the show notes. I welcome all your questions, all of your comments. If you have other threads that you're tracking on this topic and resources you want to share, I am so grateful. Please send me a voice memo. And my only request is that even if you have what feels like critical feedback, send it with a kind heart and I'd be happy to listen to it. I am going to be announcing online programs and retreat dates soon where I'm going to be diving much deeper into these topics of psychedelics and creativity. If you would like to be the first to know, please get on my email list. I share exclusive written content that I don't share anywhere else, not even on these episodes in my newsletter. And I just hit 10,000 subscribers, which I'm pretty excited about. So if you'd like to get on that list, there is a link in the show notes. And just in case you're wondering, I will still be releasing interviews and conversations with other thought leaders as well this season dispersed throughout my solo episodes. I've already recorded some incredible conversations that I can't wait to share with you. Okay, so that is coming too, but I am very excited to bring through this curriculum that my heart is longing to share with you. So let us dive in, shall we? Okay, so as we explore these frameworks that I'm about to introduce to you, outlining phases of the creative process, I invite you to reflect on how this relates to your own creative process, which refers to anything you are actively working on in your personal or professional life. And as you're listening to these phases of the creative process, keep in mind that sometimes this process can unfold over the course of hours or a single day, but other times we're in this process for months and years. And when we're bringing through our legacy work, we are in this process for decades. Okay, so in 1925, Graham Wallace presented one of the first models for the creative process in his classic work, The Art of Thought. Still a great name a hundred years later, The Art of Thought. And in that book, he presented four stages of the process, preparation, incubation, illumination, and verification. 
And like most models, they evolve and adapt based on other people's experience and interpretations. James Taylor created a five-phase framework, and these five stages of the creative process are commonly referenced. He took the fourth phase, verification, in Wallace's model, and he broke it into two phases, evaluation and then implementation. So instead of verify, let's evaluate and then implement. Makes sense to me. So he outlined preparation, incubation, illumination, evaluation, and implementation. Okay, so let's dive a little deeper and look at what each phase entails. The first phase, preparation, is about gathering and exploring information. We are actively learning the subject matter, preparing by equipping ourselves with knowledge and information. We're focused and we're more goal-oriented. So this can span hours, but we can also be preparing for years and decades, right? And this is kind of what we're doing in this episode. We're preparing. And then after we experience those intense windows of concentrated focus and effort, we step back and we take a mental break and we disengage from actively thinking about whatever it is we're working on and we incubate on it. And when we create the space to relax and open the mind, allowing it to wander, which is what happens when we incubate, that's usually when we experience those very special aha moments and insights. And sometimes very profound insights come through. And this is also why research shows that people rarely get their best ideas while they are actually at their desk working. And more often their ideas flow in those in-between moments when we are flowing, like when we're walking or driving or while we're in the shower. There are some flow principles embedded here, which I'll be highlighting later. I actually don't consider illumination to be a phase as much as I consider it to be a peak moment that we spend time preparing ourselves for. And one other thing I'll say about illumination, people often associate these flashes of insight to being a creative genius, but we just don't see the years that go into the preparation and incubation. Creative genius is mostly the result of enormous amounts of dedication and devotion to the craft. Like when Einstein said, genius is 1% talent and 99% hard work. It's like that, that 1% talent, that's that peak moment of illumination. Okay, so we have preparation, incubation, illumination, and then once the insight arises, we need to evaluate it. Is it a good idea? Has this been done before? Would it be beneficial for other people? Is this an original and novel idea that also serves a useful function? And that right there is actually a very standard definition of creativity, finding solutions that are original and novel and also serve a useful function. You might want to ask yourself, is this going to be financially viable? What is it really going to take to bring this idea to fruition? And depending on what field you're in, the questions you ask yourself to evaluate the idea will be different. And for me, when I'm evaluating, it's also a feeling in my body, right? I can feel it in my bones when I know this idea is worth pursuing. So there are many ways of knowing, not just from the neck up. So if you decide, yes, this is a great idea, I'm going to go for it, then you need to create a strategy to bring it to fruition. So again, think about how you might relate to this on shorter timeframes 
and then zoom out and look at some of the things that you're bringing through over longer periods of time. When I was first learning about this framework in graduate school, I found baking a chicken in the oven to be a very helpful analogy, also helpful for feeding me while I was studying. You prepare the chicken, you put it in the oven where it incubates, you turn on the light to see if it's ready, then you evaluate it. And if it's ready, you take it out of the oven and you eat it. That's implementation. Okay, so we have preparation, incubation, illumination, evaluation, implementation. Okay, so that's a high level overview on a pretty surface level, but hopefully by learning this model, you'll learn more about yourself and your own process, which is really the whole purpose here. And that's just one model. Many other people have outlined phases of the creative process as well. And I'll just mention Rick Rubin, who is arguably one of the most creative people alive. He wrote about the creative process in his phenomenal book called The Creative Act. I highly recommend reading this book. It is so well written. He truly speaks my language when it comes to creativity. So it just, it deeply resonates. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. And he divides the creative process into four phases. The seed phase, the experimentation phase, the craft phase, the completion phase. Huberman, Andrew Huberman, also interviewed him on his podcast, which was also a great episode. And right by looking at that outline, the seed, experimentation, craft, and completion phase, you can kind of get a sense that there's a similar arc here. And as I mentioned, I built a different framework, one that I think is really helpful for understanding how to integrate medicines into your creative process. And I'm going to introduce that framework in the next episode. But before we get there, we need to cover some foundational principles to build on. And I'm going to use the five phase model because it's simpler and it would be easier to understand those foundations so we can expand on it later. Okay, so we're talking preparation, incubation, illumination, evaluation, implementation, baking the chicken. I don't mean to alienate my vegan friends. We could call it a potato. So there are four key takeaways that I want to cover, and I'm going to highlight all four of them. And then we're mostly going to spend time unpacking the first two. And the first key takeaway is that each phase in the creative process requires different modes of cognition or mental states. Creativity and the cognition that underlies creativity, what we call creative cognition, is not a single state of mind, it's multiple states of mind. And once we cover this, we're going to explore where psychedelics fit into this equation because of the mode of cognition that the psychedelic state helps to support. The third key point builds on the first two. Creative cognition is not a single state of mind, and more importantly, it's actually about the fluidity of mind and our capacity to dynamically move between states of mind. So it's not a single state of cognition, it's multiple states, and it's about the fluidity between them. And then the fourth key takeaway, and again, I'm just going to touch on this in this episode, it really is all so much to unpack is that the different phases of the creative process require different kinds of creative thinking skills. These are cognitive skills. So if we're talking about how to improve the creative process, you would benefit by knowing what cognitive skills to reach for depending on what stage of the process you're in. And this becomes incredibly relevant when we start talking about the framework I've developed that I'm gonna introduce in the next episode. 
So that's a brief overview of the four key takeaways, and all four of these points are very intricately interconnected. So let's unpack the first takeaway. Okay, different phases require different modes of cognition. I'm going to make some generalized statements, and what I'm offering here are signposts, just pointing toward what we're trying to understand, because in reality, it's very challenging to draw a hard line and say it's either this way or that way, especially when it comes to the mind. So we're exploring the different kinds of cognition that underlie the different phases of the creative process. Okay, I'm trying to break this down as simple as possible. So when we look at the five phases, preparation, incubation, illumination, evaluation, implementation, if we're going to group those into two different groups or categories, we would put preparation, evaluation, and implementation in one group. And then we would group together incubation and illumination. Okay, so when you think about what kind of state of mind is most effective for when you're gathering information, evaluating ideas, and you need to be discerning and use good judgment for making sound decisions, or think about when you're implementing, when you're writing the book, writing very succinct copy for your pitch deck, working on your website, pitching the idea in the boardroom, or you're shooting the video, you're teaching the class, I'm implementing my idea for this podcast episode right now. So generally, you don't really want to be tripping balls while you're implementing and shooting the video or pitching the business idea, right? You're probably not going to show up in the right frame of mind. So we have preparation, evaluation, implementation. And when we group them together, I'm going to describe this mode of cognition by using the words narrow focus, spotlight consciousness, deliberate mind, goal-oriented, okay? And then after I'm done recording, I'm gonna step away from my computer, I'm gonna take a walk down to the waterfall to give my mind a rest and move my body, and walking is always incubation time for me. You might take a break and go biking, or work out, or dance, or get in the garden, or play music, or journal. So when we're in incubation, which is the pre-phase for illumination, and incubation looks different for all of us, I am going to describe that mode of cognition by using words like open focus, lantern consciousness, mind wandering, spontaneous mind. Now, those two terms, spotlight consciousness versus lantern consciousness, might sound familiar, especially if you've read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. He mentioned them when referencing Alison Gopnik's work. So if I were to add a few other layers onto each group, just to point towards what we're trying to get at here, I would also add words like efforting versus relaxing, swimming versus floating. That's another way I like to think of it. Another set of terms I'm going to introduce here are constrained versus unconstrained cognition. And these are two very important terms to understand. Constrained cognition, that's the first group. Preparation, evaluation, implementation. Our cognition is more focused, right? Narrow focused, constrained spotlight consciousness. And unconstrained cognition is when we're open, relaxed, we're floating, lantern consciousness. Okay, so I'm also going to add one more set of labels here just 
as a side note, just for those of you who are interested in how Tibetan Buddhism might fit into this conversation. Some of you know I've been studying Tibetan Buddhism for about 15 years now, so it's had a significant influence on my medicine path and also how I interpret my experiences. And in that language and culture, they have different words for mind to describe the nature of mind, which I find so fascinating. Different words because there are many different qualities of mind. Okay, so two of those words, two of those names for mind are Sems and Rigpa. S-E-M-S, Sems mind, and Rigpa, R-I-G-P-A. I won't go into these teachings, but I just wanted to add them as a layer here because they also help us understand what medicines are teaching us about the nature of mind. Sems is a word that points to small mind, narrow mind. It's all caught up mind. Another word we could use is hooked. One definition of SEMS is that it is the mind which is temporarily obscured and distorted by thoughts based upon the dualistic perception of subject and object. RIGPA is pure awareness free from such distortions. RIGPA is a word for mind that points to open mind, vast sky-like mind, wisdom mind, right? So... Just as a side note here, if you want to cultivate yourself as a thought leader, start thinking in Venn diagrams. This is one cognitive tool I teach in my programs. So I'm looking at the intersection of psychedelics and creativity, and I'm adding an additional lens of Tibetan Buddhism on here, right? So there's actually an enormous amount of overlap. And we start looking at, okay, what are the parallels? What dots can we connect here? That's actually how we build our own conceptual frameworks. And medicines really taught me how to do this. Yes, there are cognitive tools, but then we take them into medicine space and then we actually really learn how to use them. But I digress. So coming back to the phases of the creative process and the cognition that underlies each phase. When we're focused, when we're writing the paper, recording the podcast, shooting the video, we're in that deliberate mind, goal-oriented, constrained in our cognition. Incubation and illumination, they're supported by relaxing and opening our field of awareness. It's when we push off the shores and let go, floating in open awareness, lantern consciousness. And when we experience this, we are experiencing unconstrained cognition. There's, of course, varying degrees to all of these modes of cognition. Okay, one of my favorite definitions of creativity, of which there are many, one of them is by creativity researchers Akoff and Vergara in 1988 when they wrote, creativity is the ability to modify self-imposed constraints. Okay, that single sentence speaks volumes to what I'm pointing towards here. It's a profound insight if you take the time to really contemplate that. Creativity is the ability to modify self-imposed constraints. And they go on to say, it is clear that procedures for enhancing creativity must either prevent the self-imposition of constraining assumptions or facilitate their removal. I'm going to repeat that one more time. It is clear that procedures for enhancing creativity must either prevent 
the self-imposition of constraining assumptions or facilitate their removal. And that is the perfect segue ushering us right into the psychedelic state because that, my friends, is the essence of what they do. Psychedelics facilitate a mode of cognition called unconstrained cognition. They open the mind from spotlight consciousness towards lantern consciousness, where we essentially become untethered from self-imposed constraints. These are the narratives and the stories that we tell ourselves, our beliefs and assumptions about ourselves and the world around us. And that's essentially what we're pointing to when we talk about ego disillusion. You know, the narratives we tell ourselves are the scaffolding for our identity. So they are extremely helpful. But we can benefit from ditching that scaffolding for at least a few hours and liberate ourselves to experience something different. Because that scaffolding holds us up in day-to-day reality. It is critical to our functioning, but it can also become too rigid and constraining. And when we liberate ourselves from that scaffolding, we can embody a little more fluidity and flexibility in our identity construct. Okay, so these self-imposed constraints, they tether us to a very narrow view of reality. And sometimes that view is not an optimal one. Maybe it's very self-critical or judgmental or very unforgiving view of reality, riddled with all sorts of unhelpful biases and limiting beliefs. And it's as if we're viewing reality through a very small and narrow window frame and also the same frame. Okay? And so when we look through the same small window frame every single day, we simply forget that there are other options. This is what Sam's mind points to in Tibetan Buddhism. It's an obstructed view of reality. There's another definition of creativity that I just love. And I quote this all the time. It's by Arthur Kostler, who said, Creativity is the defeat of habit by originality. And if you think about it, the same can be said for the healing of depression. It's the defeat of habit by originality. Same with the healing of addiction. This is why I believe creativity is the core of their therapeutic potential, as I mentioned in the introduction. And when you have an experience where you can untether yourself from a tightly and rigidly held internal narrative, you can allow yourself room to breathe, to think differently. There's more room for new thoughts and new ideas. And psychedelics open up that small and narrow window much wider. So does meditation and other forms of spiritual practice, but we're really focused on psychedelics right now. And when that window widens, there's more fluidity and flexibility of mind, which was the third key takeaway that I was pointing to, which allows us to look through other windows and we're able to perceive the world around us with a fresh perspective, cleansing the doors of perception, as Aldous Huxley so eloquently put it once upon a time. This is the science behind how psychedelics help to expand what we believe is possible, A phrase I say over and over and over again. True statement. That's exactly what they help us do. And so when we embark on a psychedelic voyage into the mind, we are pushing off the shores of the known and we're letting go of our grip over reality. And the invitation is to open and surrender. 
And if we're willing to let go, we might experience these moments of floating and we might experience a profound sense of vast mind, sky-like mind. That's Rigpa mind, lantern consciousness, a profound opening of our awareness where sometimes we perceive reality through a lens that feels crystal clear. And in these openings, we have more access to subconscious material. And one might argue that it's not just our own subconscious material, but the larger collective consciousness. And it's from that place, that place of opening and letting go, clear, open channel that we set the stage for spontaneous insights to arise. And there have been neuroimaging studies that have looked at the cognitive signature of spontaneous insight, and they clearly indicate that immediately prior to that flash of insight, people are in this very open, fluid, and receptive state of mind. And there is one paper written on psychedelics and spontaneous insight called Spontaneous and Deliberate Creative Cognition During and After Psilocybin Exposure, led by Natasha Mason, who I also interviewed on the show. And I won't get into all the details of that paper, but I'll mention that it was a double-blind, placebo-controlled study, and it concluded... And I quote, acutely psilocybin increased ratings of spontaneous creative insights while decreasing deliberate task-based creativity. Seven days after psilocybin, the number of novel ideas increased. Hmm, that's interesting. Seven days after novel ideas increased. So there's a window. We're going to talk about that in another episode. And I'll link that paper in the show notes. And if you want to check out the episode, I encourage you to go back and give episode 53 a listen because we talk about this more in that conversation. So you may have heard some of the very well-known stories of people who have had tremendous insight during psychedelic journeys that have led to significant breakthroughs. Carrie Mullis is a perfect example. He won a Nobel Prize for discovering the polymerase chain reaction, PCR, who openly said on a BBC interview that he wouldn't have discovered PCR if it weren't for LSD. So that's a great example of LSD facilitating that kind of spontaneous insight. Now, I think it's incredibly important to note that through the years of preparation and dedication, he essentially primed himself for that experience on every level. So the chances that I would have had that flash of genius moment and discovered PCR myself, those chances would be zero to none. So this is a good moment to pause and reflect on what you are priming yourself for. How are you preparing yourself every single day so that when you do journey, you might be open to receive flashes of creative insight relevant to you? And in a way, I'm priming you right now by suggesting that this is even possible. And this is exactly what I'm doing as well. So I'm cultivating myself at the intersection between psychedelics and creativity and leadership, especially thought leadership. And I'm priming myself to deepen my understanding of creativity through all of the years that I'm studying it. And then I take that knowledge and I go into my journey space and then I apply what I'm learning and the medicine teaches me a different layer of that curriculum. Okay, that's just a very short preview. 
it's really the essence of what I'm pointing to around my own personal practice. Okay, so before I shift gears, I do want to mention one more study because I know many of you want to know the science and this study is really pretty old at this point. It dates back to the 60s and it involved 27 men who were either scientists or engineers and they were working on career-related problems at the time. And they were invited to embark on an inward journey with psychedelic medicines. And they did that within the context of a carefully structured problem-solving session. Super fascinating. And the study concluded that psychedelic agents seem to facilitate creative problem-solving, particularly in the illumination phase. And again, I'll just say that from my perspective, I don't consider illumination to be a phase. I think incubation is a phase that sets the stage for spontaneous moments to arise. That's a subtle shift, but an important one. And I also want to highlight that even though that study focused on structured problem solving, I'm actually not recommending that you go into any journey trying to figure anything out. Especially if you're newer on the path, I find it really helpful to go into a journey with a clear intention to just let go and put down whatever it is that you're working on. Put it aside. I'll circle back around to this at the end. Okay, so just going back over the four key points that I really want to establish throughout this episode, and I covered the first and the second The first key point is that the creative process requires different modes of cognition or mental states. And then we explored how psychedelics fit into that equation and how they help to support unconstrained cognition, which is wonderful for the incubation phase. And that sets the stage for spontaneous insights to arise. Now, the third key point I made was about the fluidity of mind and our capacity to dynamically move between states of mind. And I kind of mentioned it. I just touched on it briefly. And what I'm pointing to here is cognitive flexibility and psychological flexibility. These are two different terms. They're related, but they're different. And we also know that psychedelics support cognitive flexibility, which can help to facilitate that dynamic fluidity between mental states which is beneficial for creativity. So I'm not going to cover cognitive flexibility in this episode because it's just another huge topic, but I'll touch on it when I release the episode on my microdosing morning practice to support creativity and flow. And we also know that psychedelics help to support psychological flexibility and enhanced psychological flexibility is actually a determinant of creative achievement. So there is a very strong correlation there as well. And the fourth key takeaway was that different phases of the creative process require different kinds of creative thinking skills. Okay, so this is a vast topic. So I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I wanted to introduce two concepts and weave this in because it helps to tie everything together. And I really love this topic. It is so rich. And as I mentioned, it's really central to the core of my work. So if you really want to receive like the full downloads around this and how to apply it to your personal and professional life, I really encourage you to come join me at my next retreat here in Costa Rica, and I'll be announcing those next dates soon, and so get on my email list. But for right now, I want to introduce two simple concepts to continue to lay the foundation because I'm going to be building on this in the next episode. 
And if you want to deepen your understanding of creative cognition and start learning creative thinking skills, it's pretty essential to understand the difference between divergent and convergent thinking. Super simple. Divergent thinking is about exploring many ideas to find a creative solution to a given challenge or problem. So diverging is very closely related to ideating. It's more open-ended and exploratory. There are dozens of methods and tools, cognitive tools, you can learn to enhance your divergent thinking skills. You're likely familiar with the term brainstorming, which was a process of more like a method invented by Alex Osborne in 1963, but it's one of so many other methods to support you in the process of generating really creative ideas that are valuable, original, novel, and useful. Okay, so that's divergent thinking. And then convergent thinking means you're searching for a single solution. There's one answer to the problem and you're looking for it. It's the foundation of our very outdated educational system, which is why schools are robbing children of their creativity. Okay, so I always hear people associate creativity and creative thinking to divergent thinking, right? Creative thinking is divergent thinking, but that's not totally accurate because diverging is only half the story. There is absolutely a need to strengthen our divergent thinking skills because as I mentioned, convergent thinking was overemphasized in school. So we're just out of balance. It's like being really strong in your right bicep, really weak in your left bicep. But creative thinking and the creative process and just living life require both divergent and convergent thinking skills. Even more important, it requires the meta-awareness and fluidity of mind to know which one to draw upon depending on what you're trying to accomplish. My beloved Mark and I are anchoring a really significant vision here on this land, on this 90 acres in Costa Rica. And we're in the process of diverging and converging all the time. And we're always exploring ways to improve on our diverge, converge process, right? We have to come up with lots of ideas. What are all the pathways forward? And then we choose one and then we execute on that. And it is starting to get dark out here right now. And the cicadas and the... Crickets are going full swing right now, so I wonder if you can hear how loud these insects are that are just operating at a certain vibrational frequency. Okay, so to tie this all together, think of diverge as like opening and converge as like closing. And open and closed are not good or bad. None of these labels are good or bad. It's just different states all necessary when used in balance and at the appropriate moment in time. We come up with lots of different ideas. We diverge and then we choose a path forward and converge. So remember when I was describing preparation, evaluation, and implementation, I used words like narrow focus, deliberate mind, goal-oriented, spotlight consciousness, constrained cognition. We could also add converge to this list. And when we're in incubation, which sets the stage for illumination, we're in open focus, mind wandering, spontaneous mind, lantern consciousness, unconstrained cognition. We could also add diverge to this list, right? So we're diverging, we're opening, we're converging, we're closing. So to reiterate the key takeaway here, unconstrained modes of cognition, those modes of cognition we go into in the psychedelic state, unconstrained modes of cognition are conducive to divergent thinking and the thinking skills that support 
divergent thinking. I know that's an extra layer there because divergent thinking is like a style of thinking, right? So you can learn thinking skills that support divergent thinking. That's a category of creative thinking skills. And divergent thinking supports the process of ideation. I really love this word ideate because it means to form an idea or to shape a concept. That's exactly what I do in my mind and journey space. I'm shaping ideas. I build them and develop them in my mind. You know, I call Mark an architect and he calls me an architect of the mind. And that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm ideating and shaping ideas in my mind. And I'm going to talk more about that in the next episode. Okay, I'm going to mention one more paper before we start wrapping this up here. Manesh Gurn, who is a PhD candidate who I previously interviewed on the show. Manesh has become a good friend. I really appreciate all the work that he does. And I'll be bringing him back on for another episode for this season. He wrote a research paper that explores unconstrained cognition called Updating the Dynamic Framework of Thought, Creativity, and Psychedelics. I'll include a link to that if you want to deepen your understanding. And as I've mentioned on previous episodes, it was his paper that inspired me to go back to graduate school to focus on psychedelics and creative cognition because so few people were talking about it. So thank you for that, Manesh. And in that paper, he concludes... The psychedelic state facilitates unconstrained cognition, which can be beneficial towards ideation because it can enhance one's capacity to discover highly novel and original ideas. Because when we're untethered and we're looking at reality with a fresh set of eyes, and that's what psychedelics help us do, right? They offer us a fresh perspective. This is the definition of novelty. If it's fresh, it's novel. And novelty is a hallmark of the psychedelic experience. And it's also why we find things funny and hilarious and ironic. And humor and play are huge catalysts for creativity. So we should not take any of this too seriously. Now, we all have the capacity to come up with good ideas, but consistently generating exceptional ideas is a skill set and it's a mindset. And there are all sorts of cognitive tools and practices that you can learn to help you generate better ideas. I absolutely consider psychedelics to be one of the most powerful tools to support us in this process. As Dennis McKenna said to me before on this podcast, psychedelics are tools for learning how to think more creatively. Even just understanding that is a huge key to how you might want to engage with them. And now we have access to really powerful AI tools that are also pretty incredible for ideation. I'll be sharing some of that in this season as well. Just what I'm starting to learn, what I'm exploring, what I'm integrating into my creative process in terms of AI tools. And in my newsletter, I have a section where I'm sharing a new AI tool that I'm exploring. Okay, so to give you a preview of where I'm going with this, if you can teach yourself a creative thinking skill and you can practice it and you can know how to use it and get good at using it, right? We're taught how to think, but we're not taught how to think well then you can also learn how to reach for that cognitive tool when you're in a state of unconstrained cognition because that mode of cognition enhances your ability to use it, right? It's pretty profound. And if you have a strong foundation and a depth of understanding, then the medicine will teach you how to use that tool on a far more significant level than you could have ever 
learned in waking consciousness. And that's at least been my experience. And so I'm writing this curriculum to encourage you to cultivate your capacity to come up with better ideas, ideas that move the needle, because we all have the capacity to think at that level, but it starts by believing that we are capable of that. And then it requires rising to the occasion and training ourselves, literally training our bodies and our minds, our entire beings to bring those ideas through. Right? And this is such a critical moment in time where we are really being called to elevate our thinking so that we can contribute exceptional ideas that are novel and useful for solving problems at hand. Okay, I hope this all makes sense. Genuinely trying to break this down as simple as possible. And what I'm pointing to is really pretty mind-blowing more like mind expanding actually that's exactly what it is it's mind expanding and when you expand your mind you expand what you believe is possible to create with your life okay folks we are nearing the curve here towards the end so I'm going to be building on this in the next episode where I introduce to you a fairly different framework for understanding how I integrate sacred plant medicine into my own creative process And like I said earlier, I'm going to be letting you into a very personal aspect of my life, my solo practice with medicine. And I really haven't shared this level publicly before, so it's unprecedented territory for me as well. But before we wrap up this episode, I, of course, want to leave you with a few practical suggestions. And before I do, I invite you to take a moment to reflect on what your key takeaways are from this episode. This is an active learning technique. Rather than passive listening, get active in your learning process and jot down one or two, maybe three aha moments. Maybe just moments of, hmm, that's interesting. That might have arisen for you. Write them down. Write down what the insight was and why it is significant or important to you. And that's important to write down the why because when you put it down on paper, it's offering you a breadcrumb trail to follow. Then ask yourself, why did you notice this? Why did you have this, hmm, that's interesting or that aha moment? And writing down the why is going to help you remember it and it's going to give you clues as to what you might want to follow. And feel free to send me your insights. You can send me a voice memo, as I mentioned earlier, memo.fm forward slash plp. I would love to hear from you. Are you already integrating psychedelics into your creative process? What are you learning about the process? I would love to hear your insights as well. Okay, now I want to circle back to the same questions I asked earlier. What does your unique creative process look like? What does that look like for you? Think about it on a larger zoomed out scale. And by the way, zooming in and zooming out, looking at things from up close versus far away and being able to toggle between the two is a creative thinking skill. We can do it intuitively, but we can also pay attention to the way that we do that so we can get better at it. And so what is the process you go through to come up with novel ideas and then bring those ideas to fruition? Can you articulate that process? And articulating it helps you understand it. How do you come up with better ideas? How do you evaluate them? How do you take the time to reflect on them? How do you decide if you want to go for it or not? And then when you decide, yep, this is it. I want to put this into action. How do you make that happen? 
taking time to reflect on this brings your unique creative process into your field of awareness and that's a foundational place to start by doing this you're leveraging the immense power of attention and you're using questions to guide and focus your attention and it's helpful when someone says hey look at this that captures our attention this is what i'm doing right now and we need that because your creative process is actually largely invisible it happens in the space between you know thinking skills also invisible visions and ideas they reside in the unseen dimension of reality which makes it infinitely more fascinating to explore but if you're not paying attention to this and you're not aware of what it is or what it looks like for you then you'll miss it and you can't improve upon it or optimize it so self-awareness is always the entry point and where you choose to shine your light of awareness that spotlight consciousness where you choose to direct that and the information that's on the other end of your awareness is the content from which you craft the story of your life mind altering statement attention is the key that unlocks the door to inner transformation again another huge topic in and of itself and i go deeper into this in my programs attention truly is the key that unlocks the door to inner transformation but learning frameworks like this and the conceptual language is also really a good place to start it's super helpful concepts are like cognitive handles for you to hold on to when swinging through the monkey bars of your mind so get to know your unique process everyone's is different When I really started understanding my own creative process better, I started understanding myself better. And because I know what to look for now, I'm exploring and improving my process all the time, every day. I weave this awareness into the fabric of my life. And I actually revolve my entire life around my creative process, and that might sound very selfish or self-absorbed to some people, but from my perspective, from where I stand, it's the most selfless thing I can possibly do to help contribute to the awakening of humanity in a way that feels deeply meaningful to me. Okay, now once you start understanding your creative process, then you can start identifying what your creative enhancers are and what your creative detractors are that either support or hinder your creativity in that part of the process. I'll be talking more about creativity enhancers versus creativity detractors throughout the season because it's such a huge topic, super relevant to everyone. And so when you look at the different parts of your creative process, and it's likely that it won't be linear, like the five phase model is pretty sequential. My process is certainly not linear, much messier than that. But when I look at the different phases that I go through, and I'll share more of this process in the next episode, I can then start to really look at what are the factors that support me in that phase and what are the factors that hinder me in that phase. Now zoom in and think of a vision, an idea you're currently in the process of ushering into life. What are you currently working on? What are you currently bringing through? Where are you in that process? And I invite you to start paying attention to the dynamic balance between those two broad categories of swimming versus floating, efforting versus relaxing, which is really the essence of what underlies the creative process, right? Cultivating that clear, open channel for creativity to flow through us is really about alignment. I'm going to talk more about alignment in the next episode And there are many ways we can point to it. But one way we can look at it is that when we are 
aligned, we are centered. And when we are centered, we are in balance. And balance is an energy equation. It's about giving and receiving. So are you in balance within yourself between efforting and relaxing, between input and output? Are you taking time to rest and recover to allow ideas to incubate, tending to your inner garden as much as you are in the doing phase? You know, it's the classic work hard, play hard. Don't just work hard, which we all know is easier said than done. So how can you create more space for floating rather than swimming? This mindset shift that I'm making right now from time management to energy management is really helping. And that languaging around it is also really helping. Right. And these are huge questions for self-reflection. You can consciously build a lifestyle around amplifying your creative enhancers and minimizing your creative detractors. I also want to introduce the difference between active versus passive incubation. So as you pay more attention to your exchange of energy, where you're in balance, where you're in centered alignment, another layer that you can add here is understanding the difference between active versus passive incubation. And this is similar to the flow principle, active versus passive recovery. So if you're familiar with that, this will ring a bell. And it's really a simple concept. High level example would be after working for three hours on the computer, taking a break to incubate by going for a walk in the woods versus incubating by scrolling social media or a more extreme example might be binging on, you know, chocolate cake and watching Netflix to incubate. So there's a difference. Active incubation is about making the time to do something that supports a healthy incubation process. And for me, like I mentioned, primarily walking and hiking. I walk religiously every day. It's a daily habit that is the foundation of my success. And I don't say that lightly. So I really honor that time. I need to structure this into my day and I make it a ritual in my life. And as I said, a good life is created. It's crafted by intentional design. We have to guard our time and carve it out in the ways that serve us and our creative process. And so I usually start my day with a morning practice, oftentimes including microdosing, but not always. I go through long periods of time where I'm not microdosing at all. And I'm going to share a whole episode on that as well. So you know what works for you when it comes to healthy, active incubation versus passive incubation. And again, find what works for you. Okay, so for this episode, I'm really covering more foundational theory, giving you ideas around where and when you might want to integrate psychedelics into your creative process. And again, if you choose to work with any hallucinogenic substance to support any part of your process, please be safe and be responsible. I believe in our individual right to alter our state of consciousness in whatever way we choose. And with that right comes a lot of responsibility, regardless if you're exploring a micro, mini, or macro dosing practice. Again, check out my free guides. They're in the show notes. And if you are going to explore this and remember you are taking full responsibility for that, I also want to offer up a couple of suggestions. And of course, everyone is at such a different place in their personal practice. And so what I would recommend for someone who has a more advanced practice might be very different for someone who's just starting out. But there are certain principles that are the same. I recommend going into ceremony with the intention to let go and surrender 
to put what you're working on aside rather than going into a session trying to figure anything out. This eventually leads to the principle of Wu Wei, which is the art of effortless action. It's a central theme to my practice, but for now, just start to pay attention to what insights do arise either in your journey and in the days following your journey. I highly encourage you to write them down. It's so easy to think that you're going to remember them and then you forget. Write them down. Get a journal. Allocate a journal just to this. Over time, if you dedicate yourself to cultivating a stronger practice, then weaving in these other tools that I'm going to start introducing in the next episode can be helpful. So I personally find journeying with medicines incredibly beneficial for supporting those profound moments of insight and illumination, but I'm not going into the experience trying to find that. I sit with medicine to align myself with the core truth of who I am and to create space for what wants to come through to come through and I learn how to create from that place. Okay, so I'm not showing up to ceremony to effort, right, to solve a problem. Oftentimes so much clarity emerges but it happens by letting go and opening myself up. So sometimes I choose to sit because I feel stuck in my creative process and the medicine often offers me insight into what's going on. Like, hey, maybe you're a little too stressed out right now, not getting enough sleep or you're overworking and it's time to come into balance in these ways. Really clarity emerges from centered alignment. Alignment happens first. So don't try, just let go. And it's so much more about opening and less about efforting. So there's really no need to take any of this too seriously. As I said, play is a powerful part of the creative process. And the wisdom of these medicines are really showing us how to celebrate and give thanks for our lives. Okay, one more suggestion that I'm going to make is to learn how to master the art of asking better questions. If you want a different outcome in your life, learn to ask a different question. If I had to add a few other tools to the short list of the most powerful tools available for us to enhance creativity alongside psychedelics and even AI, I would add learning to ask better questions. You can learn divergent style questions that are fascinating to explore when you're in states of unconstrained cognition, right? So this is a recommendation based on the theory we just covered. There are many kinds of questions. I'm going to do a whole episode on the power of asking questions. So it's important to remember that when you are in medicine space, you're in a dialogue with the medicine. And that is profound to understand. And like any dialogue, if you know how to ask better questions and focus your attention, you'll be amazed at what might be shown to you. And sometimes it's appropriate to be having that kind of internal dialogue in medicine space and many other times it's not. It's really just about maintaining that central focus and connecting with the present moment and really letting all of our thoughts fall by the wayside. But for right now, I just want to share a couple of questions that are always with me, not just in ceremony. These are questions that I'm reflecting on every day. And when you're floating in lantern consciousness, untethered in unconstrained cognition, you might want to try asking a divergent style question. One of the more powerful ones is, 
what else is possible? What else is possible to create with my life? When you ask a question, it influences what you pay attention to. This is how you train your mind to perceive possibility. And I have found that when I ask these divergent, higher reaching questions like what else is possible? What else am I capable of when I'm in a certain moment in my journey space that it really catalyzes a lot of transformation in my life? And these questions leverage the power of your imagination. And I'll be talking more about that as well because imagination is really everything. Okay, one last suggestion that I really want to emphasize, and that is that if you do decide to go deep with medicine, give yourself a lot of time on the other side to integrate the experience. I highly recommend not making any big decisions, no drastic moves right after journeys based on any visions or aha moments that you had in your journey. Let the dust settle. There's no need to rush into anything. Just take your time. Get lots of rest, lots of journaling, integrate in a good way. And you know, walking this medicine path and cultivating your visionary capacity is a path of mastery. It requires daily practice. You know, integration isn't just like the three or five days that happen after your psychedelic journey. It's a path that you can choose to walk for the rest of your life. So I encourage you to cultivate practices to stay grounded and stay centered and aligned and it's important that we stay grateful and humble on the path as well. All right, folks, we are officially a wrap on the content for today. Thank you so much for staying present with me. It is only through attention and awareness that a transmission can be received. So thank you for hanging in there and for going deep with me. It is officially pitch black here and all the crickets are alive and singing. So I'm going to leave you with the sound of the jungle here. And if we are not yet connected on Instagram and you'd like to follow our journey here in Costa Rica, you can find me at Live Free Laura D. And I'm also sharing pretty regularly in my IG stories content that I'm also not sharing anywhere else. And finally, I want to give a huge shout out to Hemp Lucid. They are sponsoring some of the episodes this season and their CBD products are incredible. I'm going to include their link in the show notes if you want to check that out. You can use code LIVEFREE at checkout and receive 15% off of any of your purchases. All right, friends, once again, my name is Laura Dawn and you're listening to the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. Until next time.